Brought to you by Feitner Productions. From the Beyond Unreasonable Doubt Studios, in association with Feitner Productions, it's Lay Down the Law! With your host, Billy DeClerc. Hey, that's me. Yeah, that's right, Billy. That's you. <sighs> Featuring Blake Oliver, Lauren Michaels, and Curtis Rutherford. Only a madman would dare to bring these people together to build a world of law and order, only to tear it apart with laughter. That madman is attorney Billy DeClerc. The result is a podcast blasted to the farthest reaches of the internet. That podcast is this one, and it starts right now. Welcome to Laying Down the Law Earmark Edition, the law and comedy podcast hosted by me, the unacknowledged bastard child of Steve Martin and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's a really hot summer in the Hamptons. I'd like to introduce my three returning guests first. He's a returning guest from season one, a CPA who specializes in cloud technology and the co-host of the Cloud Accounting Podcast, a weekly news update for accountants and bookkeepers. He's a two-time honoree to the CPA Practice Advisors 40 Under 40 list, and he's been named to Accounting Today's Top 100 Most Influential People list. At Northwestern University, he majored in cello performance, and his musical ear is why he's the visionary behind Earmark, see what I did? My main money man, Blake Oliver. Billy, it is awesome to be here with you. It's awesome to have you back. And um, we're going to have some fun today. Going to make you break out of your comfort zone. I hope so. All right. My next guest is a writer, improviser, and host of the podcast Improv Beat by Beat. His writing may be found on McSweeney's and elsewhere, including Twitter, like... A lot. He's also a member of Megaplex, the improvised movie, Fluffy and Ghost, the improv group whose 75-minute improv set recorded in the first year of the pandemic took me the entire second year of the pandemic to, quote, fix in post, end quote. He's the (laughs) one and only at, actually, Curtis Rutherford, R-E-T-H-E-R-F-O-R-D. Welcome, Curtis Rutherford. Thanks, Billy. Good to be back. Can't wait to do a three-hour improv set this time. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a Marvel movie-length improv set. Mm-hmm. All right, and welcome back, another returning guest. She is an actor and comedian who enjoys writing while riding a bicycle. Even though she's from Dayton, Ohio, and she's cringing as I read her bio, she studied theater at the Stella Adler Studio and mastered making mistakes in New York so that she could share her gifts as a standardized patient in Pittsburgh, influencing and impacting future doctors of the world. And you're welcome, doctors and patients. She enjoys camping and driving across the country, which led her to discover La La Land as her most natural habitat. She performs stand-up comedy weekly while procrastinating on other pursuits. Follow her down the rabbit hole or on social media at L Orange M-I-C, L Orange M-I-C, and at Sweet Relish Films. Welcome back to the podcast, Lauren Michaels. Thank you. Thank you for reading that. And uh, it is the Stellar Adler. 
that, that's how it's a stellar it's Adler. Oh, now we're gonna have that's to. That's the that's the British pronunciation. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. We're gonna have to. Yes, add an R in there. Yeah, stellar Adler. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm Great thrilled to, to have. Yeah, I'm thrilled to have you all back on the show. But first, a word from our sponsor. Insert advertisement here. Okay, Blake. Uh, thanks for getting us that sponsor. I really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I hope I, hope, I, no pressure. I hope I do. Yes, thank yeah, you. I hope I do. Thank you to one eight hundred delivery thing dot com. I needed a delivery thing. I called one eight hundred delivery thing. They deliver all the things. But there is a one eight hundred accountant. There is a one eight hundred accountant. One eight hundred accountant. Yes. They're probably not the sponsor. <laughs> no, there's an emergency accounting needs. Yes. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, this week's case is Gorton versus Doty. It's a 1937 case from Ohio. Wait, 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 Billy, aren't you going to like, this is the first episode, right? We're going to like, lay out what this is oh well we have so many returning listeners i'm sure they all already know like, but since we're the first episode on earmark for all you new accountant listeners what do we do on laying down the law laying down the law is a law and comedy podcast we take law and then we run it through the meat grinder of comedy in order to make it understandable and fun i call it edutainment now adding uh, accountants i used to say it's like the uh, peanut butter and chocolate that two great tastes that go great together. But now that we're adding accounts, it's like a PB and J sandwich. Um, it's bread would be the law bread. The peanut butter would be the improv peanut butter and accountants. You're the jelly, the delicious, sweet, sweet fruit part that makes a PB and J a PB and J instead of just a PB. Arguably the best part too. Oh, fantastic. And because this is for accountants continuing education credits, we're going to go longer than the usual 20 minutes. So you can get a full 45 minute accounting continuing education credits. Now, how does this work for those of the many, many, many listeners who are following laying down the law from our traditional audience into this new space for many, many non-accountant listeners? How does this work? So we have to hit a total audio duration of 36.2 minutes per National Association of State Boards of Accountancy rules. 36.2, so, easy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. Don't miss, don't miss the point, too. It's very important. So if we do that, we can offer an hour of CPE credit for this episode. This is what I love about accountants. How long is an hour? 36.2 minutes. <laughs> well, the multiple choice, the eight multiple choice questions are themselves worth a certain amount of time. So fantastic. <laughs> but it's really a 50-minute hour. Yeah, Just absolutely. Clear things up. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I get it. It's a 50 minute hour of which 36.2 minutes is the actual time. And other questions are the time within the 50 minute hour that aren't included in the 36.2. Oh my God, Curtis, you should be an accountant. Thank you. <laughs> you got that faster than half of our audience. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Thank yeah. I, I was going to ask. Um, I, I think I, I me. <laughs> yeah, I added you on, uh, on, uh, Twitter. Uh, and this is, um, by the way, uh, accountants, this is uh, this podcast does venture into explicit language. So I'm just going to warn you. So if I couldn't give two shits about something, then that means I could give one shit. But the question then is what happens to the second shit? Also, if I'm giving a shit, does that mean that the one shit is, is a deduction? And then is the second, how do I, how do I, what's the tax treatment of the second shit, which I do not give? 
I'm not a tax accountant, so oh. I don't have to answer that question. Perfect. <laughs> well, write me at Max Hedroom Esquire with any answers and make sure you hashtag I don't give a shit at all uh, when you send it. I mean, if it's a donation, that's a write-off, right? I think I know that much. Well, it's a gift. I guess it's a gift. Well, it depends on whether it's a gift that's a charitable gift or a gift that's an inheritance gift um, mm. and generation skipping shit. My grandfather died and he gave me one shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can I write that off? Yeah. No, Was no. It see, he can write it off. He can it's write what, it off. He can write off the show. No. I don't give two Put shits about my off. grandkids. I don't give two shits about my grandkid, but I do give one shit. Anyway. Why, why were we talking about the shits? Well, because this is a tax accounting podcast. And so that's all I know about tax and accounting is that what can I, can I write it off? Essentially. The thing I understand about accounting is that you write off everything and then you tell your accountant, can I write off everything? And they're saying, and then they say, is this, do I need to, are these audited financial statements? And then I say, no. And then they say, do whatever you want. Welcome back to the Wesley Snipes accounting <laughs> podcast, where you will find out everything you need to know to go to jail. Yeah. I have so, to change accountants. Uh, my dad's my accountant now, and he's so prideful about his business. So he doesn't do any write-offs. It's horrible. Oh, yeah. Um, no, in all seriousness, that so, so, um, <laughs> The reason I'm doing this, because I don't know anything about accounting, if you haven't gathered that in the first four minutes, um, well, I am a lawyer. So uh, I understand that accountants need to keep up on business law, right? Yes. yes. So this, this is meeting the business law portion of uh, the accounting. And, and this, this case that I'm doing, Gorton versus Doty, is actually from my business law book. I'm going to go get it off the shelf. Hold on one second. And while Billy does that, I think in full disclosure, everyone should know that Billy was once my bookkeeping client long ago. So, uh-huh. yeah. And that's how we know each other. Okay. All right. Since All right. this is an auditory medium, excuse me. I just walked across my office and I got uh, business associations. Clearly it's a well-read book that I read many times and I flagged all the pages I read. There are two post-it notes in here and I'll go ahead and open to page one. Chapter one on agency law. Agency, for those of you who don't already know, is the power of one person to do something on behalf of another person. So the principal is the person for whom something is being done, and the agent is the doer of things on behalf of the principal. And the reason this matters is because. Um, oh, he's putting on the glasses. I am because I'm going to actually read from this book. Um, the reason this matters is because if an agent signs a contract, then the principal is bound. If the agent, uh, you know, commits a tort within the scope of agency, then the principal is going to have to pay for it. So, um, so for example, employers and employees, if the employee, you know, uh, serves somebody very hot coffee and then uh, that, as somebody who gets served the very hot coffee spills it, the employee who serves the very hot coffee um, can be sued, but also the maker of said hot coffee can also be sued. So that's why principal and agency relationships matter. So this case is, is a, a case involving an auto accident. In September of 1935, this lawsuit was brought by one R.S. 
Gorton, who sued because his son, Richard, who was a high school football player, he was a junior at the Soda Springs High School, was injured in a car accident being driven back from an away game in Paris. Uh, I assume that's Paris, Idaho. Uh, Occurred on September 21, 1935. He was being driven by an adult volunteer in a privately owned vehicle. So this was the old carpool. Um, The car that um, Richard Gorton was riding in was owned by Charlotte Doty. She was a teacher at Soda Springs High School. And the car was being driven by Russell Garst, who was a football team's coach. This part isn't in the highly edited version that's in the law school textbook, but Russell Garst was 22 years old. The driver. The driver of the car. So the reason that this comes up on an agency law analysis is that at trial, there was $870 in monetary damages that were owed to the father for medical bills and and so forth. And Richard Gorton was awarded $5,000. In the trial, Charlotte Doty was found liable for $5,870 because it was claimed that Coach Garst was her agent. And so what was one of the issues that was appealed, there are a lot of issues appealed, but one of them is, was there a principal agent relationship between Charlotte Doty and Russell Garst um, that would cause Charlotte Doty to be fully liable for the things that Garst did. So basically, because Garst is driving Doty's car, Doty, according to this, is fully on the line. It is as if Doty were driving the car herself right. and hit young Richard Gordon. Gordon. Well, Gordon was a passenger. Gordon um, was a passenger. So if so, she really didn't hit him. So Gordon was in the car. It was as if. Um, Doty had, I don't know, was drunk, drove off, injured, uh, Richard, but even though she wasn't there, she just lent her car. It's just, it's as it's equivalent legally. Right. And that's exactly the, the, the situation. So, so her defense was, I just loaned my car to the coach. And the law is that if you just loan your car, it's called a gratuitous bailee. A gratuitous bailee means you loan something to someone, bailee. A bailor is the person who does mm. the loaning. The bailee is the one person who, who gets the, the vehicle. And gratuitous means for no money. It's a gift. So, mm. so if she just loaned the car to Garst, then she wouldn't be liable. But if he was her agent, he would be liable. And so she testified at trial that she had just loaned the car to Garst. He wasn't her employee. He didn't work for her. Um, He didn't promise to pay her anything for the car. And basically, she testified that the day before the game, they were apparently maybe in the teacher's lounge or something. uh, She had asked Garst if he needed another car to drive the kids to the football game. And he said, yes. And she said, you can use my car. So wait, why is she getting sued? I don't know. Why is she a defense? It was her. So it was her car. Right. Well, what happened? Why did. Well, this is like this is one of the interesting things. I was preparing for this podcast and I actually read the entire case, which is not something I usually do. Um, (laughs) And so so you get these highly condensed case cases. And this is a this is a a swipe at lawyers, but they can take it. so you get a highly condensed case, which is intended to make a legal point. And obviously the cases that are put in are weird. They're, they're on the line. Um, so this is a case that illustrates this point and 
potentially was wrongly decided. So what happened in the accident isn't in the law textbook. But I found out researching. So I'll tell you what happened in the actual case since you asked. Or do you want to know what the legal the legal point is first? No, no, I would love to. I, I'd love to just like figure out what like what happened in the like what led us to this point. So let me tell you first the facts that matter to the question presented. The question being whether uh, Russell Garst was the agent for Charlotte Doty is this. She knew the Soda Springs High School football team was going to be playing the Paris High School football team um, at Paris High on September 21. She volunteered to use her car, transporting some of the members of the Soda Springs team to and from the game. She asked the coach, Russell Garst, if he had all the cars he needed. He said he needed one more. And she said he could use her car if he drove it. Did she go to the game? She did not. Okay. Yeah. She so did they not. All- they all pile into the cars and they go to they the pile game. in the car. Yes. She wasn't promised any compensation. The school district paid for the gas. She loaned the car and she'd not employed him. She not directed him to do his work or services or what he's doing. Okay. okay. Loaned her car. That's it. Except okay. she said nobody else was to drive it. Fair enough. Okay. Mm-hmm. Does that like only you can, is that what they're saying? Like, because she said only you Garst can do this. That is like equivalent of saying you are my agent. You are you are being Doty right now. You are being uh, what was her first name? Charlotte. You are being Charlotte Doty and driving my car. She said in relating the conversation, that was the extent of it. Um, question on or about the twenty first day of September, nineteen thirty four. State whether or not you permitted Russell Garst car to use the car. Answer: I did. Under what circumstances? I loaned it to him. When did you loan loan it to him? Was it that day or the day before? On the day before, I told him he might have it on the next day. Did you receive any compensation or were you promised any compensation for its use? No, sir. What were the circumstances under which you permitted him to take it? Well, after having so testified, appellant was then asked, you may relate the conversation with him if there was such conversation. Answer. I asked him if he had all the cars necessary for his trip to Paris the next day. He said he needed one more. I said that he might use mine if he drove it. That was the extent of it. And the court says, we therefore conclude the evidence supports the finding of the jury that the relationship of principal and agent existed between appellant and Russell Garst. Okay. So they all go to the football game. Everything's fine getting there. It's on the ride back, the drive back. That's when there's a crash. All right. Well, you want to know what's not in the case book. You just keep pushing, Blake. You keep pushing and you keep pushing. I'm just going to tell you, this whole part is not relevant to the decision of the case. It's not in the business association's case book. It doesn't tell us anything about principal and agency law. And yet you still want to know. Okay. Okay. Did they win the game? This is what I need to know. Did they win the game? That's not in the case at all. I don't know about that. But if they were celebrating, maybe there was Gatorade thrown, Mm -hmm. you know, something. I don't think there was any Gatorade in 1935. I think it was whiskey. Really? I thought Gatorade was old as Mountain Dew. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) As old as, you know, that old saying, as old as Mountain Dew. I think yeah, the Mountain Dew came over on the Mayflower. I believe was it. <laughs> it was a. Sorry, yeah. I, I, I didn't drink it. I didn't read your briefing, Billy. Yeah. So I'm I'm trying to get the facts straight here. So yeah. they got they, they got into a crash. Mm-hmm. Oh, you want to know about that car? He wants to know about the crash. All well, right, so there was an accident, right? 
Yes. So here's what happened. Richard Gorton at the time of the accident had been driving for about three or four years. Um, he had experience as a passenger in a car. That's Richard, the son who was injured. He estimated that the coach was driving about 55 miles an hour when the accident occurred, but he also testified he wasn't really paying attention uh, where the car was being driven or how fast it was going. He was seated in the front seat between the coach and another member of the football team. So they had three across the front seat and there were two members in the back seat on the highway where the accident occurred and for several miles in either direction was smooth and oil surface. The highway was dry and there was no other traffic at the point in time of the accident. The accident happened at a sharp 10% curve just after dark that the car lights were on and Richard Gorton did not object to the speed it was being driven. He testified that the coach didn't ask the boys to go with him. He just told them, you're going with me. Kind of like out of order. But anyway, when the car reached the curve, it moved straight ahead from the hard surface onto the shoulder and from the shoulder into a borrow pit and along a bank at the side of the road until it reached the end of the bank where it left the highway and continued down a steep slope and into a gulch some distance from the highway. The automobile was practically new and in good condition and that the coach died shortly after the accident oh, wow. from the injuries received. Jeez. So that's why he was not being sued. Okay. Okay. Now I get it. Yeah, and, um, what kind of car is this? Uh, it's a fairly new car. It doesn't say what the model is. It was one. It was an old timey car. This is 1935. Model T or something. <laughs> yeah. So. It was an Edsel. An Edsel. So, okay. Wow. So they're in a bad accident just caused by like probably, you know, somebody like the coach kind of drifted off maybe or wasn't paying attention, missed the, missed the bend, right? Right. Drives off the road. Well, it was like He drove off the side of the road, basically. Okay. It's going about 55. There was a big curve and he, yep. And he rolled right off the, right off the side of the road down a ravine. So and Richard Gordon's dad decides to sue cars. the owner of the car, Charlotte Doty. Right. And yeah. I'm going to, when I get to the dissenting opinion, um, I'm going to get into what I think is really going on here. Um, but they, mm. but the expenses were sued for hospitalization, doctors, surgeon, nurses fees. Um, and then the father also as a guardian for his son um, brings it to damages for injuries that he sustained. Um, and there's testimony that basically he, his leg was fractured and he wasn't really, he didn't walk the same afterward. Poor kid. So, yeah. So there's a whole discussion in the full case that doesn't have anything to do with principal and agency about whether the damages were excessive because $5,000 is a lot of money in 1937. And basically they said it was because he had this permanent injury. Yeah. That's like uh, almost a hundred grand today. Yeah. It was, I mean, it, it it's not, um, you know, it's not um, the Barnes firm kind of money, but, you know, it gets you there. A uh, quick question about like principal and age, agency before we go more into like the how it's being possibly misused here. Uh -huh. So what are the normal like aspects in which somebody is definitely working as an agent for me? Like normally what I have to say, Billy, you're my agent, you're selling my boat, mm -hmm. you're doing this or Billy, you now you work for me. And because you work for me, you are now automatically my agent. Yeah. I'll give you an example. Okay. At one point in my business, I had an office where I received mail that was separate from where I was actually running the business. And I had a couple of employees. And so one of my employees, her job was to drive over to the office where we got the mail every 
day and pick up the mail and bring it back. And I was sharing the office space with someone who worked for an insurance company. And he said, you should really get insurance for your employee's use of a vehicle. Because if your employee gets in an accident while driving over to the other office to pick up the mail, you could be liable because that is driving within the scope of employment. So she was my employee. Her job was to drive over, pick up the mail and drive back. Now, why was I so worried about my privacy that I couldn't um, use my actual address as a, as a whole other story? But because she was your employee, she's just automatically she's on working the clock. as an agent for you. Right. So if she had gotten an accident driving those two miles across town, uh, you know, whatever would have happened, I could have been sued. And so I had insurance to cover that expense, that risk. So that's a clear, the clearest example of principal agent relationship is an employer employee relationship. Um, an attorney is is an agent for a person. Um, obviously, a real estate agent is an agent for a person. Um, usually, it's established by some kind of a contractual relationship. A CPA can be an oh, I'm, there he goes making it relevant. A CPA is an, it can be an agent, and and in some cases, you know, an accountant could sign a contract for a company. You know, potentially bind the company, bind the company if they're held out to be an agent. There are a lot of other aspects of agency, whether it's implied or actual agency or whether there's contractual agency or whether you give the impression of being somebody's agent. So, um, you know, so so, um, partners are agents. So if you enter into a partnership with someone, unless you have a specific written agreement and it's a general partnership, um, then the act of the one partner binds the other partner. So when you're partners, you're both principals and agents of one another. So anything one partner does, um, this is sort of a side note. I give a lot of people advice. And one of the things I'll remind them is uh, personal unlimited liability for the acts of your partner within the scope of the partnership. So that means if your partner goes out and takes out a million dollar loan and you didn't know about it, and they're a, it's a general partnership, meaning you don't have an agreement, you're on the hook as a partner because it's a general, you're a general partner. So unlimited liability for the acts of your partner within the scope of the partnership. So those are principal and agency relations. Gotcha. And so that's like the normal vanilla version. And then this obviously is like the borderline case where she clearly, or um, sorry, he, yeah. Gerst, did not work for Doty. Right. He worked for the school. It's weird that the school isn't at all part of this, right? Yeah, that's in, that is an interesting. I think these days you'd almost certainly have sued the school. Or the car company for making an unsafe car. Mm-hmm. And also the highway, also the, um, you know, the, the department. Of, boy, we are like plaintiff's lawyers right in here. Yeah, yeah you would have sued the Department <laughs> of Transportation for not having a guardrail, for not marking it, not having a sign. Um, you know, the and car, also the car from, went through, I think they said a burrow and then a ditch and then went, another thing I'd be suing the ditch, the gulch, <laughs> yeah, the burrow, exactly. all of those the yeah. animals that live in the burrow. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 I just, he, you know, went off the road into a ditch and then down a ravine. Not good. No airbags at all in 1937. So that's principal and agency. Mm-hmm. Okay. So here's a nice quote from, um, from Richard at trial. He said, well, the first thing I noticed, sir, was the side of the bank coming up and going off the road. And then I noticed him trying to pull a car back on the road from the shoulder and the gravel and then skidding into the bank. Golly gee, sir. (laughs) I can't walk no more. 
So because of this riveting testimony and mm-hmm. his tiny Tim-like inability to walk, his, his, his pulling on the heartstrings of the court, they say, okay, um, Garst was definitely the agent mm-hmm. of Doty. Therefore, Doty, you're on the line. You owe all of this money. Right. And the, the, wow. the, the test, the real test of agency here is the, the idea of control. Um, so consent and control. So agency is a manifestation of consent that one person will act on another person's behalf and subject to their control. And then the consent by the agent to act as an agent. So the court here, um, the majority rules that Doty and coach both consented that he would drive her car. It doesn't matter that he did it for free. You don't have to pay someone to be your agent. Essentially, because she said, you're the only one that can drive it. Um, they thought that that was really important that the jury could find that he was her agent. This seems kind of crazy that just loaning somebody your car and attaching a condition to it can establish agency. Right. That's uh, how it gets in a law school textbook for sure. Is that still the case? Uh, You know, I'm pretty sure you could argue this is a wrongly decided case. No way. Cause then Uber would have to pay a lot more for a lot more things going on. Well, and I think the thing about, I mean, Uber is a great example of, of agency law because, and there's, you know, we could do three or four episodes of a podcast about Uber's handling of agency law, because obviously they have contracts, multiple layers of contracts, click, click wrap contracts. They've been sued and accused of being an employer of these drivers. Then they went and changed the law, um, and, uh, got a, got a, a ballot initiative passed. It's kind of a whole layer upon layer upon layer. So it now seems technically like, Uber drivers are just friends of Uber. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I've noticed actually that Ubers are, have gotten really hard to get ever since the pandemic. It's like, it's been very difficult to even find an Uber driver. It's like your Uber driver will be here in 27 minutes and then they cancel halfway through and, um, mm. and Uber is not a sponsor of this podcast. Wah, wah, so sad. Judge Budge spoke up and dissented. Judge Budge's dissent focuses on how weak the connection is and how little control Charlotte Doty had over Coach Garst. Real quick, Judge Budge is such like a Disney name for a judge <laughs> like that's the judge that tells mickey that he you know he has to pay those two pies back to goofy i yeah i couldn't resist mention judge budge uh that's the order yeah <laughs> and that's that'll be the order of the car <laughs> yeah exactly a milkshake. exactly and now he's a one of the ronald mcdonald gang <laughs> <laughs> It's a crossover there. Exactly. So there's no evidence to support that the coach was the agent at all. He says, you know, an agent is someone with a business kind of relationship or to manage their personal affairs with their authority. It's not enough to just give permission. There wasn't really any instruction as to what they were going to do. They worked at the same school and the coach was loaned the car on his own. She just loaned him the car out of the kindness of her heart. isn't this his agency? It's his team going. Right. I mean, he's, yeah. I mean, he was the one. It's acting. not even like he's doing her job. He's right. doing his job. Yeah. Um, the only reason that the majority says is that, is that she said, he said, well, you have to drive it because he says that's obvious. He didn't want any of the teenagers to be driving it. 
So she, she loaned the car. This is your exact point. Uh, Judge Budge agrees with you. She loaned the car to the coach for his benefit, not for her, her own. Um, she just wanted him to avoid an accident, which, you know, was not, that didn't turn out, but it didn't make him. I asked you to agent. do one thing. One thing. Don't <laughs> crash the car. Stay out of the gulches, the ravines, the burrows. All of it. And, um, and then Judge Budge points out, um, and this is a quote, one who borrows a car for his own use is a gratuitous bailee and not an agent of the owner. So there's something else going on in this case. And um, this isn't part of the business law part of it, but Judge Budge points out that there's this statement in closing argument by the plaintiff's lawyer. And he says, you have a right to draw on your experience as businessmen. Uh, 1937, all male jury. Sorry. You have a right to draw on your experience in determining the facts in this case and what you know from your experience as businessmen. Sorry, 1937. Uh, that prudent automobile owners usually protect themselves against just such contingencies as are involved in this case. So sorry, that was the um, plaintiff's attorney. Okay, so hey. basically saying this is what she should have done. If she were smart, she would have defended herself as a uh, prudent automobile owner. She, he's hinting to the existence of insurance. Gotcha. So he's saying prudent automobile owners usually protect themselves against just such contingencies or involved in this. So he's hinting that she had insurance. And so the law is that you're not allowed to say that the defendant has insurance. It is error. It's a mis It's grounds for a mistrial. And so the um, when this happened, the defense counsel called for a sidebar and they went into chambers and basically defense counsel asked for a mistrial on that basis because um, they improperly referred to her insurance. The court didn't think that that was grounds for a mistrial. And so the judge went back into court and he repeated the testimony and then told the jury to disregard it. <laughs> okay. Okay. I, so this is making sense to me now because I'm thinking to myself, why would a jury go after this school teacher for $5,000, the equivalent of a hundred grand today, when her car was destroyed through no real fault of her own. She just loaned the car to the coach. The coach is also dead. It's a terrible situation, but clearly the kid has medical bills and somebody's got to pay for it. And the jury gets the implication that there's insurance that's going to cover this if they make this decision, right? Like that's, that's got, what's got to be what went on here. I think that's, I think that's probably right. And that happens a lot, right? Like, I mean, that's got to happen today, right, Billy? I think like, it happens all the time. I think juries um, sort of guesstimate about what's the rough justice and don't necessarily pay attention to the law. That's the role of the judge is to make the legal rulings and the jury is to interpret the facts. And sometimes the jury just tries to do what they think is right, um, not really necessarily following the law. And so the argument of the defense, he uses the word mulked. You're trying to mulk the defendant in damages. Wait, what word is that? Mulked, like mulch, M-U-L-C-T. He's trying to mulk the defendant in damages. Feels um, like 1930s Ohio slang that has not survived. It didn't make it. 
so the, the judge denied the motion for a mistrial and, and instructed the reporter to read the remarks to the jury again and then instructed the jury to disregard the remarks. So in case you missed it, you have a right to draw on your experience of businessmen in determining the facts in this case. And you know from your experience as businessmen that prudent automobile owners usually protect themselves against just such contingencies as are involved in this case. Pay no attention to that statement whatsoever. You're to disregard it. And so I take it Judge Budge, uh, who did not budge in his opinion to go with the majority, <laughs> that was on appeal. That was some sort of like... He was the dissent. So I think there were... Th- Let me just check. I think there were three in the majority and and Judge Budge was the dissenting ju- uh, judge. Or two, two, maybe I think it was a three-judge panel, two and one, something like that. He was the in the minority opinion. Got um, it. Mulked means to punish. I, I look, Google tells me it says extract money from someone by fine or taxation. Mm-hmm. Oh, punish yeah. like. Yeah. The inference was that the respondent was attempting to punish her for having volunteered the use of her car. And so he, he basically argued, this is the plaintiff lawyer. He said, that's not punishment. I'm not trying to mulk her in damages. I'm just saying, you know, she probably has insurance. Are you trying to mulk me right now? Uh, I'm I, you know I, what? I don't go by I don't let a day go by when I don't mulk people. This is a good word. The mom's been mulking word. people for mm-hmm. absolutely how they do it. Right. Absolutely. So that's the case folks. Gorton versus Doty. 1937 Ohio. So this is case law today. Like, like, I, I guess what's the lesson here is, is it just that you really, 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 really want to avoid agency relationships? I mean, I don't think there's a moral to this story, unfortunately. I mean, we just really skip over morality in law school. There, there isn't really a lot of that until the third year. Usually uh, first year law students come back and it's like, oh, I read this interesting case about a, about a murder. Oh my God, what's wrong with you? Just takes the morality right out of you. I think that, so the point here is to understand how agency works and, you know, what are the circumstances that create agency and to make a vivid point here that it involves certain amount of control. Um, And I think the idea being, this is the first case in the law book so that uh, the law students all have the same reaction when you get down to it. Like, this is not right. This seems wrong. It shouldn't have been an agency. It's pretty clear I'd say it's pretty clear this is a wrongly decided case. And I apologize uh, to judge. Uh, well, I don't know who wrote the. I remember the trial judge. The tri- no, the appellate judge. Judge. Judge Holden. Fudge, Judge Mudge. Oh, Hold'em. Okay. Judge Hold'em. Really? We have Judge Hold'em and Judge Budge on the same mm-hmm. appellate yep. court? Yeah. And hold Judge Ante. Not Holden, like oh, Catching the Rye. No, it's hold like Catching. It is like catcher in the rye. Oh, it, Holden is. Oh, it is. Okay. Holden would be funnier. You can blame the trial court judge and judge Holden for, uh, I, you know, probably the judges are thinking the same thing. We got to give this kid some money. It goes into a whole thing about his fracture. And then they try to heal it using 1936 oh, uh, medical no. technology. <laughs> it was a simple fracture, not a compound fracture. And they put it in a cast, but it didn't quite heal. Right. So, uh, you know, little, little uh, Richard Gordon kind of limping around Soda Springs High School. It's his senior year, for God's sake. Maybe he was the one that threw the Gatorade, you know, mm-hmm. what goes around. I thought we had established that there was no Gatorade in 1935. Well done. Because we're looking everything else up. We're going to find yeah. out. Yeah, let's Gatorade fact check that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it was like 1960 something. Let's see. 
Yeah, 65. Yes. University of Florida College of Medicine. Mm -hmm. There it is. Well, that's a lot of extra salt. Mm -hmm. I did know that part about Gatorade, that it was in Florida. Um, Right. It gave them such a huge advantage. Because the Gators. So my takeaway from this is it is exceedingly easy to create agency without intending to do so. Yes, that's that's a really good takeaway. And that's actually a valuable, a valuable um, like if you want to apply this to life, um, it is extremely easy to create an agency relationship. There doesn't need to be a payment of money. You don't need to hire somebody as an employee. Um, it's really consent plus control. So if the parties are agreeing that there's a relationship where one person's doing something for another person and the um, person who is the principal has exerted some control over the agent, then there can be a finding of agency. Um, and in some of the some of the later episodes, we'll get into some other ways that you can create agency, even when there isn't control and there isn't consent. All you accountant listeners, definitely make sure your engagement letters make this clear. Oh, and get them signed, by the way. If you haven't done so, make sure you get your engagement letter signed. There's a lot of convenient cloud-based uh, solutions that they talk about on the Cloud Accounting Podcast to make sure that you get, you know, Panda Docs or HelloSign or Adobe Sign. Get those engagement letters signed, for goodness sake. Blake, do you want to do you want to participate in the improv or do you want to watch? Do I have a choice? You do. <laughs> I've never done improv i well i did a little bit of it uh when i was a kid i guess they tried to get us to do it uh-huh. in acting uh, <laughs> uh-huh. there's one rule of improv which is essentially accept offers but they sometimes they call it yes and or yes explore and. and heighten so accept the reality of whatever someone says and build on it a little bit i'm willing to try all right we're gonna put you into a scene uh, so ladies and gentlemen of the jury again i would just like to point out i am not going to mention insurance. There will be no mention of insurance and any money coming from insurance. But I would like to point out that when maybe you find her guilty, maybe the money is coming from somewhere else. Just keep that in mind. Keep that in mind, not mentioning insurance. So this, this, this woman, she can handle the debt of whatever is taken on her. Whether we ensure that she has the money or we don't, I'm sure you can find her liable for quite... Uh, uh, okay, sorry, up oh, the judges. The judge is calling us over. Uh, jury, if you could just uh, wait a second. We're, we're going to have just a quick little uh, uh, meeting. Uh, 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 counselor, yeah. if, I, if I've told you once, I've told you a hundred times, I, I, I don't think it's fair for you to be mentioning insurance in front of the jury. It's a I, there's a, a long line of cases that says you're not supposed to talk about insurance. Then you, you keep doing it. So I, I've got to I've got to ask you to, to to just you know tone it down. Okay, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna point out that I actually specifically said that I'm not mentioning insurance, but okay, I point taken. Okay, I, I'm I'm going to have to instruct the jury to avoid a mistrial. Okay, go for <laughs> it. Go ahead. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen of the jury. You may have heard the attorney for the plaintiff refer to insurance and, and not necessarily whether, whether there is or isn't insurance, but I, I just want to make clear, you, you don't pay attention to whether or not 
the defendant has insurance because that's that's not proper for consideration. If if we were going to talk about insurance, we would we would be using the word insurance, and we're of course not using the word insurance because that's that's not relevant to your consideration as to whether that there is any insurance. So uh, please 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 proceed, counselor. Thank you so much, Judge. So, jury, if you can be assured of anything, if you have any assurances in this world, it is that whatever you find this woman liable for, however much it makes sense, because some people, for instance, have little umbrellas if it's raining, and some people have big money-filled umbrellas, ka-ching, ka-ching, and you can put as much water on them (laughs) as you want. Okay, so remember that when determining damages. Counsel. Oh, yep. Oh, yes. uh, Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I I need to instruct you that the plaintiff's attorney's reference to an umbrella is a metaphor for insurance. You see, many, many, many types of many types of insurance policies are like an umbrella in that they prepare you for a rainy day, a trial being a rainy day. And, and, and the money that he's referring to is an insurance company paying. And so I, I just, I want to make sure you are not to pay any attention to the metaphor of an umbrella because the metaphor of the umbrella, it's suggesting that, 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 that there is insurance, which is not something you're allowed to consider, but whether or not there's insurance is totally irrelevant to your consideration. So please disregard the reference to the small or large umbrella. Thank you so much, Judge. Um, I would also like to, again, apologize to the jury. I, I know that def- uh, the defense seems to have something. I just real quick just want to apologize to the jury for bringing up insurance and for bringing up umbrellas. I apologize for <laughs> saying ka-ching, ka-ching. Okay, I apologize for at all making you think of the large insurance policy she likely has. I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. Yes, uh, counselor, counselor, again, um, we we are not we're talking about not insurance. Yes, we're we're talking about not insurance, which is where I'm not talking about insurance. So, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, please disregard the reference to not insurance. Step right up, step right up, get your assurance insurance. One day you will run out of assurance and you'll need insurance for that assurance. You, sir, you look like you could be assured. Uh, yes, uh, hell, uh, yes, my name is uh, Shirley. Shirley, don't worry, it will surely get better. You don't even need to worry about those terrible shoes you're having. I assure you <laughs> wait, one wait. day you will have better shoes. Wait, I'm but sorry. One day somebody might not hey. tell you this. One hey. day you may need someone else to tell you. And that's I like why assurance shoes. insurance is here for you. My wife made these shoes that she's a cobbler. I, I'm sorry. Why are you insulting my shoes to sell me insurance? I like these shoes. This is assurance that it you will need insurance. To be assured. So how can you be needing of assurance unless you get insulted first, right? I mean, come on. Oh, I'm, okay. I'm sorry. I, this, I thought this one was insurance. So what I'm doing is I'm giving you money and then you later on will just come back and assure me that everything's okay. And that it was a good idea to give me that money. I assure you. Okay. You know what? Let's sign up. All right. All right. Yeah, we've got one now. And who's next? Who's next for some assurance insurance? Um, um, uh, uh, hello. Um, 
I'm very upset because my, my husband, you see him over there. He just threw my shoes that I made him in the trash. And I'm just very upset about it. I I worked for weeks and weeks and weeks as a, you know, I'm a cobbler. Not that, not the, not the type like a pie, but like a person who makes shoes. I made shoes for him for a third anniversary. And he just threw them in the trash and threw money at you. I don't understand. I can assure you, Matt, that's enough. I can assure you that this is to ensure that the little boy in the street who doesn't have any shoes will one day have shoes from digging through your trash. Your husband sounds like a charitable man and you sound like you didn't measure his feet right. But I assure you with this new measuring of assurance insurance, you'll be able to make better shoes. Oh, thank you so much. Here's a big bag of gold. I assure you that was a very logistical idea. Thank you. Thank you. And you, sir, you, sir, I assure you that that car that you came out of will ride smoothly for the rest of your life. This has gone on from assurances to just vague predictions of the future now. That's the thing with assurance. It's a combination of validation and guessing. Hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. My stomach. Oh, my, my, I'm sorry. My, my stomach is acting up. Oh. Oh, I think something's happening. Uh, uh, I, I think I'm having kidney stones or something. Yeah. Well, you get nothing for me? I gave you all that money, no assurance at all? You shouldn't be in my... Oh, geez. I, uh, I probably get that checked out. Mm. Darling, darling, sh- I, I think maybe we should take you to see a, a doctor? Something. I- now, if you're looking for medical insurance, you'll have to talk to my partner yes i offer emergency medical insurance we'll sell you a med- medical insurance as you're having an actual medical emergency our rates are very high but we cover all the expenses of your hospitalization sir it appears you're having kidney stones yeah yeah absolutely um so I didn't want to go in because the doctor said it would be at least $500. That's no problem. We can cover that doctor bill. You'll just need to pay our $10,000 premium. Oh, why, I would, why would I? Oh, why would I do that? Well, with medical insurance, we pay your bills. So all you need to do is pay for your emergency medical insurance and we'll pay that doctor bill. Well, 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 it looks like somebody needs insurance insurance. Yes, that's right. Unexplained insurance bills could come up at any time. And who's going to pay those? You? Another insurance person? No, just give me $11,000 and I'll gladly pay my friend over here the $10,000 he needs. That's right. Insurance insurance. So you can be assured that you will surely be fine. Oh, thank you so much. I did need some insurance insurance after I've all I'm on the hook for $500 now that I've sold this $10,000 medical policy. So I'll gladly sell it to you for $11,000. 
Sure. You bought insurance, but did you buy insurance to be at the seashore? Shore insurance is surely the way to get your insurance surely better by seeing the seashore when you're insured. Call now to be insured by the seashore. Care of Jersey Shore. Honey, did you did you see that ad? Uh, I know yeah. we have life insurance and uh -huh. medical insurance and car insurance. And yeah. Homeowners insurance yeah. and pet insurance and assurance assurance, but yeah. I'd really like some seashore assurance. I think shore assurance is a great idea, darling. Maybe we'll go to the shore for a vacation or something, and we want it to be insured when we go to the shore. Right? Well, anything could happen there. You could sink into the sand and never come back up. You could be could... bitten by a sand crab or a naughty, a, a naughty oyster. You could be attacked by a flock of seagulls if you eat a Taco Bell sandwich. You could slip into a, a, on a slippery rock and stub your toe. You could look at a fish and forget to breathe and then just drown right there. You could eat a hot dog and decide to chop off your fingers and sell them. As hot dogs. Exactly. Anything and could happen. And then you could eat a finger hot dog, think it was a regular hot dog. And then you would get a stomach ache. Yes, and, and choke, and then you would need medical insurance. Or you could break a, a tooth trying to bite through a finger bone that you thought was just a hard hot dog. So many things could happen at the shore. So many things. Surely we uh, should uh, get that insurance. Papa. Oh, Papa. oh, yes, Chester, come on in. We're just talking about insurance. Papa, I wish... I wish that I could, I could go with you to the shore. Well, absolutely, youngster. You're just going to need to grow three or four more inches. Here, have another hot dog. But, but my leg, Papa. Oh, your leg will get better. Here, have, have another hot dog. Oh, okay. Thank you, Papa. That's delicious. You know, the best thing for a broken leg is probably swimming on a rocky, sandy, crunchy beach. Yes, swimming immediately after eating processed meat. Yes, and being attacked by crabs. Oh, Chester, why don't you go jump in the pool now that you've... I'm sure that if you swim with your broken leg, um, it'll be fine. Oh, okay, it kind of hurts, Papa, but I'll try. And Chester? Oh, yes, Mother? Wear some floaties in case the cast sinks like a stone. We want your arms to be able to breathe. <laughs> so you're looking for a new car, huh? Well, we have some of the safest, best cars of 1937. Just right this way. So if you come right over here, we've got our first car. Um, this oh is called the Spike. Every single Ooh. edge of this car is spiky. So if you drive into something, boom, you spike it and you keep moving. Well, that does sound pretty uh, masculine. Um, yes, I'm kind of absolutely. interested. Okay, well, the first things you're, oh, watch out, opening the door. It is, you know, it's, it's spiky. No, so. as a mother of, uh, of four, uh, I definitely want to... Um, to have a strong masculine influence uh, in their lives uh, because their father just died in a car accident. 
Oh my God. Uh, I'm, well, I'm, yeah. I'm so so we're looking for something that will substitute the attitude of their father who was of quite course. reckless. Well, <laughs> this, I think will do it. And since you're a mother of four, this has one of the new safety features uh, available just on this car. It's called the kid tub. So on top of the car, you can put all four kids in a little tub on top. That way, if you get into an accident, God forbid, the tub will just fly off and turn upside down, keeping your kids safely encased inside. Now, is there water in the tub? Only if you want there to be. It seems like that would, you know, if you're falling on water, it would hurt less than just cement. Well, that's a good point. And that's why I think you might be more interested in this car right over here. This car is half car, half boat. It's car on the bottom, but boat on top. Now, I will warn you, because it's car on bottom, it takes on water very, very quickly. And because it's boat on top, it's very, very difficult to steer because you steer via rudder, which doesn't gain a lot of traction in the air. But what you get is you get the safety of a boat, right? And the speed of a car. Oh, Maple, I just admire your new automobile. This is just delightful. It, it, it looks as though it's got a, it's a, it's a, some, like a sailboat on the top or it's got a mast and, um, and, and sails and, oh, it's just delightful. Oh, Mavis, I got this because I was hoping it would impress you. Well, let's take it for a spin. Color me impressed. Now, am I going to be your first mate now that we're going to ride in your car boat? Yeah, I was thinking we drive straight off the bridge and see how it just hits the water. Oh, yes. I'm delighted, Mabel. Like, you know, I've, I always, you're so adventurous ever since, ever since Jim died, just always up for a new adventure. Well, Mavis, if there's one thing I learned from losing a loved one is that now is all we have. So bottoms up. Let's so get drunk true. and hit the road. Sounds <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> 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 oh, nothing like Coca-Cola and brandy. So true. <laughs> oh, you're driving very straight. <laughs> and this bridge is so curvy. <laughs> I, I, I learned that um, a straight line is going to build the most uh, momentum if we want to make it across. Oh, that's fantastic. To just break through the... Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah. Okay, pedal to the metal. Here we go. Okay. I don't even know what that expression means, but it sounds sexy. Whoa. I love it. They'll remember me. Wow. <laughs> will it float? Will it float? Will it float? Will it float? And that's an episode of Will It Float, the latest radio broadcast show coming to your ears on WYYY. Will It Float, uh, where we cover all kinds of all kinds of objects and wonder whether they'll float. On Tuesday, we'll be testing out a rock. Will it float? Probably not. That's right. You get to hear whether something floats. Now, can you hear it floating? Probably Is it going to plop or will it well, plunk? Oh. Will it splash or will it fizzle? <laughs> we don't know.
Oh, I just dropped something now. Did it float? Listen. I couldn't give two shits. Oh, wait. Maybe one. I heard it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Producers of, uh, of uh, Will It Float, could you come in here? Could uh, I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I, I sponsored this new show, and I think you're just trying to mulk me. Uh, I'm yeah, putting all my money I, into the show. I'm, I'm throwing money into pools. I'm uh-huh. throwing money into, into safes. Is it is it floating? I, I don't know. I can't tell. Well, That's how are you going to know if we don't have our show? Yeah. You're not going to know. And and the people, they want to know. They want to know. We haven't invented uh, things like uh, repositories for information where you can simply type on a typewriter and know the answer. So we have to find out things by experimentation. Maybe someday in the distant, distant future, people will be able to find out answers to questions. Okay, by simply can we typing stop every time your prediction about typewriters that predict the future and serve up porn and sometimes alpha streaming movies, whatever that would be. I don't care about your predictions of the future, okay? It is 1937, and here's what I know. In I know future, I'm being mulked. Mm-hmm. I know I'm being mulked. I know I'm being skidamaroo dude i know that every single one of you thinks you've got the big high twirly do on me okay but hey, you well don't... you know i i, I just want to say I, I don't appreciate that language you know most is uh that idahoan slang is something that we're trying to move past in these times today and i just want you to uh recognize uh that uh, it's important to, to use the right language and uh should we have uh asked you to, uh, you know, I think you should pay for the services we rendered. And uh, honestly, uh, I, I have some mulch coming to the house and it's making my uh, sinuses close up quite a lot. I appreciate well, you talking can- about your sinuses, but Mr. Uh, Mr. Money Pants, I'll assure you that I would never skin a marinka-dink your, your jingle jangle. I will only ever honestly and truthfully represent whether something will float or not float. I would never, I would never goof a lube your monka bank. I will only tell you the truth. And the truth is most things don't float. Fine. Uh, Fine. Excuse excuse me. So sorry to interrupt. Uh, I'm the accountant on this production and all of the sponsors have pulled out ever since you threw that orphan into the ocean with their legs tied. It, that was not a fine, one of our finer moments. I don't know what we're going to do. We can't pay the bills. But didn't we have an insurance policy, orphan insurance? I, I, don't, I don't see that anywhere in the books. But the problem is once you tie their legs together. Oh, it's intentional. Right? It's intentional. Oh, it's intentional. That's an exclusion on the policy, I believe. Mm-hmm. Intentional orphan tying. If we had just, just, well, wait a second. People don't have little television studios they carry around with them in their pocket. Okay, it was an no, audio no. Bo- broadcast, right? There, 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 there was no way of looking something up or recording it as though, uh, wait, television hasn't been invented yet. So let me tell you about my idea for television. Oh, I get beside the point. The point is nobody saw us do it. That's my Lest point. Lest we forget that orphan was an intentional orphan uh, as he did uh, dispose of both of his parents. I say we I say we do something to this insurance policy and, you know, we just tell them that we didn't tie his legs together. That'll cover the bills for quite some time. Okay, you know what? I'm going to do what I can. Okay, but everybody's pulled out. So I'm on the hook for twenty three dollars. Okay, do you realize how much that twenty three dollars 
That's the annual budget of this entire radio station. Well, I think we just need to go hit up Mr. Money Pants again and tell him we, we won't going to make any more. We'll make another show. We'll tell him we'll make another show. We're going to do his biography. Let's do his biography and see if we can't get him to donate to the program. What do you say? You know, there is one other option. You could go back to the Spike Car Company. They did want to advertise, but you turned them down. They might be our last resort. You're listening to Will It Float, sponsored by the Spike Car Company. Are you worried about safety? Then why not step into one of our wonderful new cars? For instance, the Sandy Car. Each tire is filled with a little bit of sand. Not completely, but just half. So as you drive, the sand kind of spurts out, creating a nice soft sand bank for you to crash into should you crash. <laughs> Sound like too much for you? Well, don't worry. We have even safer cars, including the meat car. What's safer than a cow? You ever seen a cow get into a crash? Probably not. So why not drive around a repurposed cow? You'll be safer than a steer, steering your way right to the ranch. Giddy on up. That's right. At the Spike Car Company, we care about you because you're our most important, important resource. Now back to Will. Oh, Will, Will it yeah, float? Yes, Will it float? You know, um, I'm your host, um, Dougal McDougalson. And I am here with another orphan. Now, I want to assure you that this orphan is 100% not tied up. Now, let's find out whether an orphan will float. Uh, <laughs> yes, Timmy. Yes, Timmy. Get over here, Timmy. Okay. You're, now, Timmy, just tell the la ladies and gentlemen at home that you're not tied up. 100% not tied up. Perfect. All right. And away you go. Let's see if Timmy will float. He didn't float. <laughs> we at the Spike Car Company would like to apologize for everything that happened in that episode. If only he had been driving one of our special lead cars, a car made entirely from lead and the new super material, uranium. That's right. Drive around a car of <laughs> lead and uranium so you can be as safe as science. Uh, oh, uh, cops, cops. Uh, it, it was, yeah. uh, that's, that's the guy I borrowed the gun from. Yeah. When I, when I, when I shot the storekeeper, I, I borrowed the gun from him. So, uh, you can, Oh, well, we better go arrest him. I'll go arrest him. Uh, get over, get over here, sir. You, you loaned a gun to this robber slash murderer. Yeah. What of it? Well, he said he borrowed it from you, and, uh, you know, since he borrowed it from you, you're going to be responsible for a murder-slash-robbery. No, no, I just, I just loaned it to him. And did you tell him what to do with it? Uh, no. <laughs> All right. But he also didn't say, don't murder, rob anybody. Oh, that's, that's okay. true. Thank you, for, thank, you for, thank you for your help, Bob. I appreciate that. No problem. Uh, so you didn't tell him not to... Not to murder slash rob. I, I told him what did I, I, you know, uh, on second thought, maybe I, I told him to, to not murder my neighbor. 
So you were trying to control him. And did he say he wouldn't murder your neighbor? He said he wouldn't not not murder my neighbor. Wouldn't not not murder your neighbor. Yeah. Wouldn't not. That sounds like a double negative. Not it's not a triple murder. negative. Wouldn't not not murder. Right. So but then but then I not, said not, not I wouldn't not 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 mind if you didn't not murder my neighbor. I, I got kind of confused to be honest. I don't know where we're at. Are we okay? You are definitely not okay. You're coming with me, sir. Where you're under arrest for uh, number one, improper lending of firearms, and number two, improper use of quadruple negatives. Do I, I get to call my lawyer? Well, this is 1937, son. Do you think that every criminal defendant has some kind of a right to have a lawyer? Let's not- just say you can't not not. Not That's call right. Your lawyer. You can't not, 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 not call your lawyer. I deserve that. Only people like Mr. Moneypants, the the ambassador to France that is recently settled in our community, can afford a lawyer. And he's the one that committed the murder slash robbery for whatever reason. Yeah, I hope you rot in there, by the way. Uh, so I'm just going to go free. Uh, see you all guys later. Uh, sorry again about all the robbing and the murdering. Uh, thanks for letting me borrow your gun. Uh, yeah, no problem. Good yeah. to see. Yeah. Yeah. Good to see you. Good to see you. Oh, uh, hey, officer, officer, uh, can right. I borrow your gun real quick? Well, absolutely, Mr. Money Pants. Thank you very much. That. <laughs> oh. Oh, seems like the officer got shot by his own gun. I'm okay. Um, Nope, not okay. Not okay. Okay. I think legally, legally, this seems like a self inflicted wound. He's right. Thank you. Luckily, it wasn't fatal. I mean, I just shot you in the elbow. So, yeah. But I still got another one. We're cool. As long as we're cool, then we're fine. We're cool. I was worried if the officer would not think I was cool. So, well, all right. I'm just going to be going over here to get some uh, an operation. I'll be back soon. Hey, well, uh, welcome to the hospital. Welcome to the, come on in. Come on in. Come on in. <clears throat> Ah, looks like it looks like you got a problem with your uh, with your with your elbow there, huh? Yeah, um, shot myself with my service pistol. Well, I mean, I didn't. I loaned my service pistol to uh, Mister Money Pants, and he shot me in the elbow. And I kind of consider it an honor, to be very honest. And also, I noticed my voice got deep and gravelly after it happened. That happens a lot. It's a it's a vocal elbow a funny bone connection. It's, ah, uh, once the funny bone goes, it kind of snaps the vocal cords like a little thing and uh, makes you a, a lot raspier and gravelier. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, come on, come, come on in. Okay. Um, so do you think do you think you can operate it on it or uh, put a cast or a splint or a tourniquet? I, mean, I, I will say this is. This is this is less a hospital. This is a this is kind of a school of sports medicine. Oh. Um, so we have one thing that we can offer you. It's like a it's a it's a salty sweet drink. Wow, that sounds delicious. Yeah, we're, we've got we've got some names like uh, uh, crocodile juice. Mm, I would love that. Uh, or uh, 
Lizard liquid. Also good. Okay. Okay. We're trying out some things. Mm-hmm. Snake serum, maybe. Do you think maybe before I, I mean, I'm happy to drink whatever you want to call it, but can, do you think maybe we could just, you know, do something about the bleeding? Okay. Well, let's yeah, see what I'm, we got. Uh, um, uh, I, I hold on. I'm gonna consult with my other doctor. Let's see what we, uh, we what we have for this this guy's bleeding. Uh, oh, we got uh, we got some racket balls. That this is school of sports medicine. I'm doing uh, what I can. Uh, okay. Um, I'll take the racket ball. That should be fine. I'll Great, just fantastic. sort of put it in the the, the put the, it in the nook in the in the yeah in the wound, mm-hmm. kind of where it's they, they you know where the bullet went through. Yep. And um, just I'll just put it in here and just should I just hold it? Just hold it a little bit and okay, uh, yeah. do a little bit of walking. Walk back and forth. I'll walk give it us, off. Give, give us a good walk. walk. <laughs> I have to say I'm feeling a little bit better. Uh, why don't you hand me that lizard juice, sir? Sure. Take a take a swig. Why it's quite delicious. Mm. Quite delicious. I feel refreshed and rejuvenated. And almost like a new person. Lauren, thank you for being on the show. I know you have to go. Uh, go commute to the thing you need to go to or drive your very safe automobile that doesn't have spikes on it. Thank you all. Thank you so much. Nice to meet you, Lauren. Nice to meet you guys. See ya. In our last act of the show, we play a game called Laying Down the Pretense. This is a game show in which I ask you questions. There are no right answers, and I award random amounts of points. Question number one is going to Blake. Blake, which dinosaur would make the best politician? A pterodactyl. And why? They just look so majestic. That's a great answer. You get 100 points, Blake. You're off to an early lead here. Now we're going to go to Curtis. Curtis, if you were put in charge of creating a brand new global holiday, what would it be? Oh, um, it would be year day. And the idea with year day is it lasts 365 days, uh, more once every four years. And it's just, that's the whole holiday. For one full year, you get that holiday. And it's, it's an annual holiday. So basically every year you get year day off. (laughs) That's a fantastic idea. Full credit. 100 points. All right, Blake, this uh, next one's going to you. Which superpower is the worst one? Invisibility. And why is that? Because you're always naked. Uh, That's true. That is kind of a bummer. And then, yeah, you have to take, yeah. You're cold or you're Mm -hmm. hot all the time. I think I read The Invisible Man by H.G. Wells, and I found that mildly disturbing that you know basically there's this naked guy like hanging out in people's houses like he's like like, you can't see me when i'm naked what about when you're in crowds and stuff like people are brushing up against you like so awkward it's really it's very uncomfortable uncomfortable. it's very uncomfortable full credit that is the correct answer most of these don't have right answers this one that was the right answer there isn't a right there isn't another answer sorry for those of you that are playing at home and came up with another one like telekinesis you're wrong it's invisibility Telekinesis is a good one. Yeah. All right. Uh, Curtis, last question. Which color is the most impolite when invited to a bachelor party? Which color? A color itself personified. Oh, if the color itself were invited. Is the most impolite specifically at a bachelor party? 
I'm going to say purple. You're right. Because purple shows up to a bachelor party and thinks, this is about me. This is about me, purple, right? And it's not about you, purple. It's about the bachelor. Right. He's about to get married. Let him have a nice time. He wanted to have this nice bachelor party where, I don't know, we all uh, play laser tag and then go see a ball game, okay? Oh, isn't that nice? That's so sweet. What a sweet little bachelor party. Now purple shows up and says, but what about me? What about purple? What? Uh, why go to laser tag when we could instead go on a yacht? Like it's just, it's, it becomes purple's show. No, notoriously, famously narcissistic purple. In fact, you know, I could have asked the question less qualified. I could have just said, which color is the most just obnoxious generally in at parties? And so it would have been the same answer. So correct. Well, both of you got full credit. It's a tie. You both won. Thank you so much for playing. Before we go, though, I'd like to do some shameless self-promotion. What's coming soon from you and where can people find you on the Internet and social media? Let's hear from you, Blake. I am at Blake T. Oliver on Twitter and... You can check out your Mark CPE to get free CPE for listening to podcasts. I mean, why get CPE any other way? EarmarkCPE.com. EarmarkCPE.com. And if you're already listening on the app, give it a like, a thumbs up, or something or other in the app store so that more people download it or tell a friend. That's the best way to spread a message. What about you, Curtis? Um, you can also find me on Twitter at actually Curtis. Um, and I'm currently working with the comedy co-op. We're starting up. We're going to be like a worker owned comedy theater. So that's the comedy co-op LA. You can find us on Instagram and on the internet, which is that magical typewriter that Billy mentioned earlier and many other places. Hopefully we've got some shows and hopefully we'll have like a theater and even more shows. It is the comedy co-op LA.com. TheComedyCoopLA.com. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Curtis. Thank you so much, Blake. And thank you so much, Lauren. You didn't get to shamelessly self-promote. Uh, at Sweet Relish Films, at La Orange Mike. And uh, thank you so much for being on the show. That's it.